Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing research and news. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by MT360. Uh, MT360 is a great conference in Santa Clara Convention Center, May 12th through the 14th. Uh, where we disc- we have presenters on transformative technology. Uh, we talk about implemented use cases and partnerships for implementing technologies. Uh, we have a bunch of cool companies there. We have HP Additive, IBM Watson, NVIDIA is going to be there talking about their Sweet. Uh, AI tools and uh, new manufacturing stuff they're going to be getting into. Uh, Vimana, Heidenheim, Drive Capital, and a ton more. Again, it's Santa Clara Convention Center, May 12th through the 14th, 2020. Go to mt360conference.com. Awesome. I'm uh, Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Manufacturing Technology Analyst. Steve, it's been a while. I felt that pause in there. It's Uh, been a while, and we nailed our titles right away. It's going to be a great year. It's 2020. Happy 2020. Welcome to the future. Yes. (laughs) Are you excited for 2020? I am. I'm really excited for 2020. Can't wait to tell you why. There's so much talk of, when I was younger, 2020 was the future. I'm like, get a hold of yourself, man. Yeah. Let's stop talking about that. It's already worn out on me. It is, yeah. <laughs> and we're only what, a couple of weeks into it, and I'm tired already. <laughs> it's it's been it's been 20 years since well, 19 years since 2001. 2001. 2001 Space Odyssey, and people were like <laughs> predicting things like how still hasn't happened yet. It's not gonna happen. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, so okay. Before we get into the test bed and our articles, sure. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. One, it's kind of playing the mysteries universe, but also thought about does automation make you a better engineer and company. Uh, so at home on the consumer side, I have a robot vacuum cleaner, straightforward. It's nothing new. It's been around for a, a bunch of years, which is my techni- technology adoption plan. Yeah. I'll wait for a bunch of years and then get jump on the bandwagon like it's brand new. Home automation. Um, so I noticed that uh, for it to run properly, I've got to put away all the toys, make sure there's no shoelace, make sure no scrunchies laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's going to get sucked in. It's going to send me a notification. I'm going to yell at someone at home for leaving their stuff around. But the fact that it requires you to put away all your stuff on the floor before it vacuums so it doesn't destroy itself. So I'm wondering if the process to automate something, does that improve the quality either of the part itself or of the uh, discipline required to achieve that? I've got I, you know, that's it's funny that you mentioned that, and yeah. I think it does. I mean, yeah. it, it, I would think that it would keep a, a manufacturing cell operator or technician honest. Yeah. I mean – you know, Doug, our pres- AMT's president, talks all the time about you know how how uh, his wife Mary hires cleaners sure. for their place, and it's he finds it so ironic <laughs> that you have to clean your house before the cleaners can show up to clean your house. <laughs> so you're not embarrassed. It's the same thing with a robot. <laughs> right. It's not just right. for embarrassed sake, sure. but like you, they can only do so much. Sure. You have to make sure you lay a good, clean foundation that's, for it. That's a good part. So probably it's, automation probably does keep, yeah. you know, cell technicians yeah, honest. The, the discipline is a good foundation. And the other use case I've noticed, obviously, in the business world of uh, setting up phone calls. So instead of emailing back and forth, I've got an automated tool that you can see my calendar online. Mm-hmm. So it just blocks stuff out. It's not super transparent, but it says when I'm available. But the key is I've got to maintain that schedule. Otherwise, people are going to run into errors when they book stuff. Sure. And I think that's the other key side of automation. One, the going into it is the discipline to maintain it. But on the back end is things going to fail. The, things will go wrong. Do you have a plan of, okay, when this robot goes down, or in my case, when this robot cleaner explodes or the calendar doesn't work, is there a tool or mechanism for it to recover accordingly? Wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So my calendar tool does, you can re um, uh, propose a new time. The, um, the vacuum cleaner has a bunch of safeties built in. So if it uh, over um, 
uh, the suction uh, gets backed up or if there's a clog, it shuts down. Um, so it's something to consider. It's, if you're reliant on one manufacturing <laughs> cell, you probably need a backup plan if one that things go down, not if. Does your uh, robot have... Uh, the, the robot vacuum cleaner have a mass airflow sensor in. <laughs> uh, I don't think it does. Uh, <laughs> I think wild, the, it's man. just it just the motor just overheats and says that's enough. Oh yeah, there would be a sensor in the motor. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's a temp cool. sensor. So tell me about the test bed, man. It's 2020. What are we doing this year? Well, let me tell you what's going on. Um, something that me being pessimistic about it yeah. never thought would happen. We've got our copot. The we got copot, a copot arrived. Here. You know, it's a second Christmas. Yeah. We got pop some champagne. <laughs> a robot arm is here, yep. um, along awesome. with some other goodies. Yep, but um, that are, that also arrived that I ordered before uh, our holiday break. But um, yeah, the robots here. I've got a good uh, um, timeline of uh, tasks that are coming up. Yep. Um, before you get into that, what do you since it arrived? It did arrive like a couple of days ago. Yes. Is this the most exciting electronics purchase you've received? You you're know, an electronics guy. So looking at it numbers wise, it probably it's the most expensive thing. Okay, that's piece of electronics. You know, I'm not a I'm not a PC gamer. So while uh, you know a lot of I know a lot of people that have spent like 10k (laughs) on a you know a gaming PC. Wow, I've never done that. Sure, I've I've never even been close to that. You know, and plus I prefer I'm a console gamer. I know, (laughs) boo me, Um, but. you know, being just shy of 10K, yeah, this is the most expensive piece of tech I've right. ever bought. Other than like a car, but sure. that doesn't count. Sure. Um, yeah, and when you compare it to the Pocket NC. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yes. Which, which is more it's exciting. It's virtually twice the price of the Pocket NC. And okay. again, we're just talking price. Right. Now, technologically speaking, um, the Pocket NC, a five-axis desktop mill. Fairly advanced. Really advanced. Yes. Um, you know, five, ten years ago, five axis is everyone's like, five axis <laughs> is the future. It's a foundational future, and yeah. it's still pretty. It's I wouldn't say five axis is futuristic anymore. Right. It doesn't get a lot of publicity as much as it certainly used to. Um, but a collaborative robot, we have a seven joint collab, a seven axis collaborative robot at the office. That's cool. That's huge, yeah. and and that's a serious long-term evolution. Right. I mean, I've said it time and time again that, you know, I don't think robots hardware-wise are going to get too much more advanced than they are now. Collaborative robots are here to stay, and sure. they're not going to develop too much more. I mean, the next thing – the next steps with robotics is probably going to be AI implementation. Sure. Um, and we can do that. We have a collaborative robot. So, right. yeah, I, I think this is the biggest thing that we've invested in. Awesome. That's exciting. It's really awesome. What but, do we have coming up since uh, so we just we literally just unboxed it this week? Yes, literally unboxed this week. So the next steps are um, just laying out the workbench and uh, installing, mounting the robot yep. to the workbench, which the workbench is seven gauge steel, which is almost a quarter inch, really a fifth of an inch. Right. Um, but nobody says that <laughs> quarter inch steel that we have to drill through six bolts so we can bolt the robot in the center of the workbench so it's stable and it can do, you know, whatever we're going to do with it. Right. And, you know, it doesn't we don't want it to fall over. It's expensive, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we want it to be able to reach future stuff. So if we have automated stock retrieval to right. connecting to the pocket and see even just vacuuming the pocket and see right. retrieving material. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be able to reach all that, which it's got it. We got to test the reach and stuff. Yep. But before all that, you know, it's the hardware yep. install. Right. Second step, what comes after hardware install with any piece of high tech, you know, 
software install. <laughs> we got to be able to run it somehow. Yeah. So and then and that's like you know both the 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 control on our computers. Right. So I got to have the thing the software running on my computer. I'm gonna have to have Sharb uh, is gonna need the um, the software running on his computer so he right. can implement MT Connect on it and whatnot. Um, after that, we got to test and verify the motion, mm-hmm. actually test the reach, yep. you know, test some of the features of the robot, see how art, how much it can articulate, mm-hmm. um, then uh, automate something, yeah. actually come up with a simple program for yeah. it to automate. And lastly, the duration test. Yeah. See for how long it can repeat an automated cycle, you know, That's start a with a half hour, yep. then start. Next is would be a jump to like an hour and then see if we can let it run a cycle over lunch. Right. Not being around it. Um, then seeing if, you know, can set it up before going home for the day right. and come back the next day in the morning, see if it's still running properly, <laughs> doing its cycles. Yeah. And that would be all, and then let it go for a weekend, you know, and that would be our first uh dive into lights out manufacturing that's gonna be awesome you know one thing i just think of just thought of while we're going through this is if i need some signage if we're going to run it um by itself at least just let the team know around us that hey this is running contact steve absolutely but yeah we need some signage need some signage we definitely need a signage signage for you know the pocket and see yeah but being that this is a collaborative robot you know and there's there's new standards about it but still it's a good idea just please don't touch yes (laughs) We work in an office. Uh, let's minimize contact with the robot. Yes. Uh, awesome. That's. I'm really happy that uh, one, the robot came in and uh, uh, they delivered and we get to move forward for this year. And uh, we can move on with our uh, continual growth of a factory. Um, yeah. So hopefully. This, this robot, I have a feeling it's going to be more than 50% of this year's experiments and blog posts yeah. will be robot related. Yeah. I if so. not entirely about yeah. the robot. It's going to be amazing. Uh, so I, I got a couple of uh, articles here, and you got one too. The first one I want to get into is composites. It's been a while since we've talked about composites. Yes. Uh, so uh, NASA, this is from uh, Inside Composites, got the skinny from Inside Composites, of course, is funding a software company that's currently uh, used in designing fish rods, skis, cell phones, electronics. Now, before you take a step back, that's uh, uh, NASA's been doing a fair amount of uh, work in taking what's been done in consumer goods, and the world around it, and how does that apply to space? Uh, what they're doing is using a grant through the Small Business Technology Transfer, uh, ST, STTR, uh, yeah. to develop high-fidelity modeling of deployable structures made from high-strain composites. So what they want to do is things like booms, things like arms that are made from composites. They want to improve the accuracy of how they're modeling that on the uh, design side so they can get improve the life of how they're implementing that. Yeah. So things like skis. If I have or, um, a skis or a fish rod, if I replicate that or scale it up to what NASA wants to do on a space shuttle, uh, you know, you can see similarities from a fishing rod to a big boom or some structure on um, right and in, in space. Uh, and what they're doing is uh, this company has a uh, great partnership with Purdue, the research group at a Purdue. So uh, they feel that they can uh, innovate quicker um, through uh, collaborating through this small company and developing um, faster FAA tools for composites. Wow. So that was really fascinating. Uh, walk me through your article, Steve. Um, my article is about – so Forbes came – I've actually found some – shockingly, I, I find it strange that like Forbes has some pretty <laughs> awesome uh, manufacturing industry-related yep. news. But 
Forbes had this uh, article that came up on Tech Trends called 12 AI Milestones. And number one is Shaky the Robot. So I assume that this article only talked about number one, Shaky the Robot. So I assume, and I did do a Google search to make sure there were no other articles. I have a feeling this is the first article of a 12-article installment. Um, And it's by Gil Press of Forbes. And uh, talking about Shaky the Robot. And when I was at CES, Mm -hmm. while I was walking the aisles of CES, you know, especially the robotics section, um, you know, CES was crazy. It was absolutely crowded. Right. And, you know, everybody cuts you off, especially if you're looking around while navigating CES. You know, you're going to get cut off because you're not paying attention to the, you know, the road. You're not watching in front of you. One of the people or thing, (laughs) objects that cut me off, sure enough, was an this this robot, right. an automated rolling, what looks like a, a mobile workstation, sure. but nobody was pushing it. It was just driving down. Just scooting by. Cut me off, man. <laughs> just Did, like every other person, this robot comes in, <laughs> cuts me off. Just blending in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, they've got the AI down because that thing, you know, knows when to take advantage of people not paying attention. That's awesome. Anyway, so I'm look, watching this video that is linked in this Forbes article to uh, SRI, uh Stanford Research Institute, yep. and it's about this this robot, the grandfather of autonomous robotics, yeah. um, Shaky. Oh, the robot's name is Shaky, <laughs> and it's because you know had there's like this this early uh, implementation of like what was an early robot arm on mm-hmm. top of exactly what I just described at CES, like this mobile workstation rolling around, but nobody pushing it. It was yeah. you know moving by itself and. That's what shaky is. But instead of CES 2020, this was in the 1960s. That's a long time ago. This was 50 years ago. (laughs) I did my math wrong. 60 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) Close to 60 years ago. And uh, it's just baffled that that was a long time ago, man. And CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, was exhibiting this now. Yeah, that's that's Um, interesting. It's yeah. just it's just a huge callback. And I do like that article actually. It gives us a, a time frame of, you know, when the early the grandfather of this technology existed and where we are now. Yeah. It's kinda of easy to see. It's like when I started cool. here and you know, three D printing was all the rage. Right. And it still kind of is. But uh when I started here four years ago, four plus years ago, um, I remember looking up additive manufacturing. Right. I did a wiki start search sure. and Somebody uh, in Wikipedia, somewhere in Wikipedia, the additive page, it will say that, oh, yeah, additive manufacturing started in the 80s. <laughs> sure. And, you know, I'm like, what? It's been around <laughs> for a while. That's a long yeah. time, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The last article I wanted to get into was a little bit of calibration, a little metrology. Awesome. Uh, so this is a calibration through the eyes of an engine builder. So a company that's making uh, modified engines for racing or uh, street performance. Uh, so they mentioned calibration is a fact of life. So they're uh, machining parts, they're modifying parts. And then the important takeaway from this article is the importance of calibration of your inspection equipment. Mm-hmm. So it's a broad spectrum spectrum of ca- uh, inspection equipment that they use. So they could be doing functional testing. So yeah. they have flow meters, they have um, uh, linear gauges, they've got calipers. Um, the big, there's a couple of things that they mentioned here, right? And uh a couple of things that, that you talk about of why would you want to calibrate something. So it takes a piece of machinery that you're using away from the factory right. floor, right? Absolutely. But the uh, thing uh, related to this is preventing errors. 
Yeah. So you're, you're, you're inspecting something to try and catch an error. Preventing or un- errors and minimizing uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. And um, these pieces of equipment is basically machinery, right? So yep. it gets used a lot. It gets beat up. Uh, and there's wear. So this uh, piece of measurement equipment will break down at some point. Yeah. The question is, did you catch it before it started allowing discrepancies to go through the manufacturing floor? Uh, so in the article, they talk about a lot of that peer group does it does a calibration like once a year, which is fine. The thing that you want to consider is how are you managing that risk? Yeah. So if you do yearly checks, if it fails halfway through the year, you've got six months of potentially discrepant product. So you've got assemblies, in this case, engines that are that could go bad early because of poor fitment. Right. So the question is, you know, one way to mitigate that risk is do frequent checks. As Instead of doing a full-on calibration where you take it into – the metrology room in a controlled environment, check it back to a, a NIST uh, traceable um, uh, piece of ins- ins- inspection block, have the operator check it on a gauge pin right. or some other piece of equipment just to verify that, hey, I know this thing is probably correct. Let me double check my tool that can wear. Yeah. Doing that on a daily basis. I mean, we have warm-up procedures for uh, um, uh, mills and things yeah, like that. Yeah, machine tools. There's no reason why you can't have a a quick spot check and a, a start right. procedure for measuring right. equipment. Right. And, and, you know, that reminds me. So one of the other new toys that we got another for new the toy. beginning of the year yeah. was, well, we got, a, you know, we got another ball end mill, um, yeah. which is exciting. But cool. um, the other thing I, I went ahead and uh, splurged on because we had some ex- excess budget from <laughs> last year that I should have spent and I didn't. Um but I bought a new pair of uh, calipers awesome. for the test bed yeah. and these fresh Mitutoyo calipers that were awesome. I didn't go all in and like get like, you know, the absolute top of the line model because the prices can get really <laughs> ridiculous. But for um, what we're doing, yes. For Yeah, for what we're doing. But like, you know, the cool thing is I wanted we I wanted digital calipers. Yep. That I didn't want to have to worry about, you know, accidentally leaving on and cha- having to change the battery after <laughs> only using it once or twice. Right. So I got these solar powered calipers yep. that um, every time they t- you turn them on and they turn on automatically. But every time you turn them on, they recalibrate. Oh, cool. Every time you send the calipers back to zero, yeah. it recalibrates. That's cool. Every time you change the unit of measurement from millimeters to inches right. or inches back to millimeters, it recalibrates. Fascinating. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Like it's 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 sometimes catches me off guard. It's like, what's wrong with these things? Because like, <laughs> you know, you want to measure something right away. And it's right. like, it's like, it's wait, thinking. hold on. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, OK, calibrate, yeah. ready to go. It does it every time. And when you think about it, like the other pair of calipers that I love and I and I kind of I'm glad I got these new ones because mm-hmm. these other ones are almost an antique now that <laughs> and they work so well. I don't want them to break. So yeah. I kind of want to take care of them a little bit because they were a gift. Um, geez, I forget the brand, but uh, it's a Swiss made um, sure. brand of caliper and they're analog. And yeah. I have misread the dial before. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but every time I use those, like when you send them back to zero. Right. Like. You got to turn the little analog it's, dial to make sure it's recalibrated. Right. You know, you yeah. want to make sure it's zeroed yeah. properly. So, and this thing does it by itself. I've got so. a set of calipers I use at home that I've had since, let's see, I started working probably from 2002-ish. Wow. I've had since then. And the, uh, to the same degree, it, it zeroes pretty regularly. It's fairly consistent. But the uh, needle is bent a little bit. Oh, <laughs> That's the reason yeah. I took it from work is because the needle is bent. It's like, these guys aren't using it, so I took it home. Right. So for what I'm doing at home, it works great. But uh, And like those blades can bend too. Sure, they could. That's yeah. why you're supposed yeah. to use that carrying case yeah, or, or protective case. But So uh, 
quick uh, heads up to the audience. If you see Steve, ask him about uh, the issues he had when he first received the calipers. Ask oh, him, my God. <laughs> let's not get in the podcast. I think we'll save that for an in-person prompt. That's so embarrassing. That so was, dumb. I think that was fairly entertaining. Awesome, Steve. This is great. This is fun. It's great. good to be back. Yeah. So how would they get in touch with us? Um, you can check me at uh, my blog, uh, Adventures of an Amateur Machinist, and that is uh, the the website link is swarfysteve.blogspot.com. Again, the link will be in the bio yep. in the description below. And they can find me on LinkedIn? And Twitter, right? Uh, let's keep it at LinkedIn for now. LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. Thanks. That was Goodbye, awesome. everybody. Bye, everybody. What time did we got?